You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Bill Powers with Mining Stock Education. Joining me is my friend, Brian Lenny of JuniorStockReview.com. And we're going to be discussing the process about going to determine bad actors within the mining sector. I've received several emails uh, or messages over the years asking for information of how can you really assess who the bad actors are. And we're going to be speaking to it from the perspective of somebody that doesn't come from the mining sector. You know, you weren't an insider, your dad wasn't an insider, and you've discovered mining stocks. You see the outsized profit potential, but you're also coming to the realization that there are a lot of bad actors out there that don't have your best interest in mind or the interests of the shareholders that they claim to serve. So how do you go about that process of discerning the knowledge, uh, obtaining the knowledge and discerning who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, who are the competent guys, who are the incompetent guys? So joining me is Brian Lenny. Brian has about 15 years experience uh, speculating in junior mining stocks. He didn't grow up in the mining sector, didn't come from a career within the mining sector, but discovered gold stocks. So he found his way. Brian, that's a long intro, longer than I normally give when you come on the show. So welcome on the show. And perhaps you could start by sharing a little bit of your insights on why the junior mining sector is prone to attract bad actors. Uh, What are your insights here? Thanks for having me, Bill. Um, Well, I think it's a number of different things. I think first and foremost, uh, for companies entering the space or people, the barrier to entry is quite low. Really, anybody can start a company. And then if you can raise money, um, you can go get a project and start marketing it. And I think that's probably the biggest uh, non-hurdle you know, into, into people entering the space. I think second um, is knowledge. You know, Generally speaking, I don't think mining is something that's you know, a lot of people know about. They know that we've got metals and um, they're included in in our daily lives, but they don't necessarily understand the whole process of how they're found, um, how these deposits are developed or mined. Um, So that ambiguity, I think, is another great cover for people that, you know, are just looking to make money off that differential in the share price rather than create value out of metal extraction. I think second to this, bull markets is where you have to be the most careful. Um, Like I said before, the barrier to entry really is probably just funding. And when you get into situations like bull markets where, you know, money is flowing and greed clouds the judgment of even, you know, the best of us at times, um, these guys can find funding to push forward and, you know, they can sell a narrative. And uh, that's that's the the kind of the danger in bull markets is that people lose their judgment and just concentrate on making that money. And that's when you can, you know, have a lot of problems. So I think, you know, the the alignment of those three things really make it kind of the perfect entry um, for somebody that's looking to, you know, make money off a narrative rather than value creation. So would it be succinctly stated the ignorance and the greed of the speculator would cause them to be taken advantage of? Would that be an accurate assessment of what you kind of articulated there? Yeah, yeah. Because I think, I think you know, generally people 
um, you know, go out there. They want to make money. And uh, typically these guys are going to be in your face the, the most. Um, you're going to, you're going to be exposed to the, the different names. And, um, you know, the, the, I think the tendency is that people, you know, just want to find the name and put the money in. They don't want to do the back work, the due diligence that goes into picking these companies out, which I think really is the key on how you avoid bad actors is that you become picky and, uh, you look for specific things. And honestly, I don't even think like I giving this some thought, I don't think you really even need a huge technical background in mining to, to be picky. Um, if you start going through the different categories, you can set some very easy criteria. Um, but the funny thing is when you do that, it, it narrows the investable companies down immensely. And that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not a bad thing for most people out there. And we should point out that you can actually make money on a per share basis for a period of time with even bad actors, can't you? Until the tide turns, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, <laughs> this is the thing. This is the, you know, the, the odds of discovery or, you know, the odds of success in the mining industry are, it's just down to probabilities. So even a person that's not meaning to discover something can't discover something um, in moose pasture. And uh, like that's, you know, that's, unfortunately the the name of the game but you know um i think for the average investor you know being picky again and sticking to some stringent criteria you're going to miss out on that kind of stuff and and that's you know you need to be okay with that um because over the long haul if you're going to be an investor let's say over the next 20 30 40 years um investing in the best people um and having the most stringent conditions no matter where the market is i think is what will make you successful and for me like honestly like how you introduced me that's that's how i started i don't have any connections to the mining industry um it was something that i've done step by step and obviously i have a tremendous advantage over the average investor now because i have a network of people i know um and i have a pretty good understanding of of the industry and and how to invest in it uh, but you know the general person is not going to have that. They're not going to engross themselves in the business, you know, leave their job to focus on it. Um, so I think, you know, you take some basic steps and, you know, you can get there. Brian, um, when I receive emails about Bill, uh, you know, how do we discern these bad actors? Then I thought through my own process. And that's why I asked you, because like you said, you came from outside the mining sector. So, you know, in that first year, you're just learning what mining stocks are all about. Like it doesn't matter how successful somebody is or how popular they are. You you don't know, you know, Adam from Rick, right? You have to learn even who people say are good. Maybe, maybe you get wind over the internet of somebody that's bad. And then for me, I, I earmarked, I think it was like eight grand a year that I would spend on going to conferences starting in 2017. Then you go to conferences, you get to meet people. You just walk up and down for days and you just meet people. So you can hear what people say. You start to develop your discernment that way. You talk to people, right? And then you hear, avoid this team. That's a bad project, you know, and you begin to take inputs through conversations from fellow investors. And then as you get to know management teams, maybe management teams will say, you know, these guys are not good actors. And so it's like that process. And I was thinking it through, like, if you're going to speculate just by consuming information over the internet, which is good. Don't you think you actually have to go to these conferences and rub shoulders with people? And then just even as you're getting this uh, information of these guys are good, these guys are bad, you know, you're going to come to your own conclusion. Maybe you won't agree with the input that you get received where somebody says this guy's bad because 
Maybe they're just offended at that guy. Maybe they're just jealous of that guy when they're telling you that, you know, right? We're all humans, right? So these are all factors in how we relate to each other. You know, maybe talk a little bit about your process of how you've come to, you know, form your template of assessing bad and good guys. Sure. Well, you know, attending the conference is a huge part and it has been a huge part of how I do my due diligence and, and get to know people. And really that's where my network up to this point in my investing career has come from. Um, but you know what, like I'll, I'll, I'll separate the, the, the answer because I think it can be segmented. Um, like I said, so first let's talk about the average investor. And again, this is just my, my opinion or my view of it. I think the average investor can do a desktop uh, due diligence and not even really worry about, you know, who the people necessarily are by meeting them. Um, but what I would do is I'd set stringent criteria. So I would say, and this is a big one, look for success. Like if you're going to invest in an exploration company, say that they need to have uh, discovered um, like and from a grassroots level, you know, at least one deposit or, you know, and the more deposits or the more success will narrow that list down. And the, the bottom line is, I think that, you know, if you do that, that's one of those aspects that can focus your attention on the people that have actually done something in the mining industry and are going to do something in the future. This is what their life is about. You know, they're 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 making money through discovery. So that could be one of the things. Um you know, attaching or looking for strategic investors. You know, there's a few that I look at and I pay attention to if they're investing in a company. They usually take large reportable positions. So let's say greater than 10%. So um, they need to report when they buy or sell stock, which I think is a really important aspect. You get below 10% and people can play around with the market and not have to report it, but you'll see them as a strategic investor on a person or on a company's uh, corporate deck. Um, so the greater than 10% or have an active role and therefore are, uh, you know, an insider of the company. Um, you know, you look for these kind of guys and I think, you know, they've got the skin in the game and, you know, you know, if they've had past success and are picky with the companies that they associate themselves with, I think that's a really another really good point to look for for investors. And again, you don't necessarily have to meet um, these people, but if you put that criteria again, your list comes really, really, or becomes really, really narrow. And then if you throw something like jurisdiction in the mix, um, like I only want to invest in tier one jurisdictions that I know, let's say North America or you know some places in Europe. Or Australia, um, again, your list narrows, and you know I think that it's plausible that you could do a desktop study, not have to worry about the the conferences, and you can you give yourself a high percentage um, of, of probability of success. On the other hand, like you said, um, I the, <laughs> the conferences have been a huge part, and I take a lot of, of heat of what I learn um, through these interactions. And I'll watch, you know, how companies interact with other people, um, ask other people how their interaction was with the company. But remember, you're always going to typically get the best face of the company at the at the table, right? Um, you're Except not what you taught me during happy hours when you really discern things, right? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, typically that's when you're going to learn who the real person is. And, you know, for me personally, that's, that's what I want to know. Um, you know, I can tell when there's a facade being put up. And like I said, most of the time, you're not necessarily, you're, or you're getting the best projection of that person or that company when you go to their booth, um, which is fine. That's, that's the way 
way it should be. But um, those happy hours, or if you can get the the management team in a, a non-formal setting, obviously I think that's, that's the better way to do it. Um, and, you know, for me, like you maybe you brought up a really good point. I think that people can, can have a view of somebody and, you know, it can be, maybe it's negative. And that was because of some interaction, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad people or they're a bad actor with bad uh, intentions. Um, but I think that most people, you should kind of go with, with the people that you gel with. So if you do hit it off with a management team and, you know, you're able to get closer to them and, and whatever, um, I think that is, that is more along the lines you want to go. Cause you need to have some level of trust, especially if you get bigger, bigger positions. Um, and you know, you know, in a bull market, people are successful and they'll be looking to make, you know, take larger positions in companies. And then that's where you probably want to know more about the company. And so for me, I've got a handful of people that I listen to, you know, on the company side or people side. And uh, those are the guys that you can, if you look at my portfolio, you can see connections. Very rarely do I, do I go outside of that, that circle unless, you know, but it does happen unless I think that there's something else about the company um, that sets it apart. But for me, I'm willing to take that risk. Um, but I don't, I wouldn't suggest it for, for the average investor out there. Brian, there's an ancient proverb that says the first person that starts speaking sounds right until the second person starts speaking. So, or stated another way, there's three sides of a story, his side, her side, and the truth, right? And so you have to see who lines up with the truth. I bring that up in the context of online slander or online, someone online, whether it's Twitter, a chat room, a blog, YouTube comments. I've even seen it on my own channel where someone makes these like crazy outlandish uh, accusations against uh, a management team. And there's no way for that management team to, um, you know, reply and defend themselves really because the accusation seems to be so far out in left field. And there's no way to even verify who this anonymous person is making these accusations. If you're shorting a company, you might just put slanderous libel out there. So how do you assess online slander and online accusations of this guy's a bad guy. I've seen it with newsletter writers, one to another. I've seen it with people claiming things about management teams. And I can think about five times where I've actually gone to the person that I know the person that's being slandered or being accused of doing something nefarious. And I said, you know, this guy's saying such and such about you. And they're like, Bill, that's 100% false, 100% false. Oh, and by the way, the guy that's saying that about me, you know, he asked me for such, such and such, and I told him, no, thank you. So clearly the guy's offended and, you know, he's distorting you know, whatever he's, he's accusing. It's a, it's a complete distortion of reality. Okay. So how should the, the newer resource investor, how should they process online accusations? And I'll just use the word slander in many cases. Um, I, I, you, you bring up some really good points there. I think you first look at the source, especially if it's on a bullboard or something that's completely anonymous or like an anonymous Twitter that doesn't have an actual person attached that, you know, um, be very skeptical about, you know, what you're being told because people are, you know, they play games all the time. And I think you just look at regular life, look at growing up in school, you know, grade school, high school, the games that are played behind people's backs, 
you know, that's, that's sort of what that is. And, and uh, I guess the second part is intention. You know, you never know what the person's intention is in the background, if they're shorting the stock or if they're trying to pump the stock, like it's the, you know, there's the slander side, but there's also that the other, the, the, the promo side, you really don't know why that person is saying what they're saying. And so maybe listening to exactly what the accusation is and how that might play out to that person. Um, and that comes when the people, like you said, are more public figures and they're, they're, they're saying negative things and, uh, you can get a gauge for who that person is and how much, how might they benefit from what they're saying? Um, because typically there's something that's rooted in it. I, I don't think that, you know, people make accusations just out of thin air. There's a reason for it. Um, but the other side to it is, you know what, I don't go looking for it. I, I don't, um, I, I, like I said, I have a circle of people that I will talk to and listen to and believe trust. Um, and outside that it's kind of just noise to me. Um, I trust my judgment on, on people and on companies and that's kind of my sole focus. And I think, um, you know, the best of us can get tricked by, by different people that we meet and different things you read online or, or whatever. And so first and foremost, for me as an investor, I, concentrate on learning as much as I can every day on the mining sector. And I do my due diligence and I have people that I ask questions, geological questions or some other specific questions. And I trust those people as mentors and as friends. And uh, I go from there. And that's, that's like my sole focus. If something comes to me, like it's kind of interesting how like, I don't go looking for it, but sometimes something negative comes to me and it's like, oh, you know what? I need to go further into this and check it out myself. So you can, all the balance sheets are all available to you. You can see where GNA is being spent, what percentage of the expiration budget is going into the management's pocket. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, whether it's an IR person or a management team, you can get them to go through the balance sheet with you and say, oh, well, you know, you know, what is a consulting fee? Like you have a management cost and you have a consulting fee. What's the difference? Um, how's it being spent? And you can come up with all these things yourself and verify, uh, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, this is only a promotional company. If it is, you'll see it quite, quite clear in the balance sheet. It's, it's uh, usually the answers are verifiable. Some of the stuff that they talk about the person in general, um, I, I don't take much value of it. And if I was concerned about it, I'd ask some people that I know are fairly well connected and I'll trust their judgment and take it from there. And, you know, one last point on that to me, I think more, uh, more often than not, you, if there is some, not just from one person, but if there is generally a lot of people that have a negative sentiment towards something, just, just pass on it, say no to it. Um, either, there's very few investment or investable companies, I think, in the junior sector. It's a very small portion. And so saying no more often than not is going to protect your downside risk. And that's what we're all trying to do. Yeah, that's the good default uh, position. That's, that's excellent, Brian. What about guilt by association? Okay. So maybe the management team, they have some competencies, but then they bring in a strategic investor that you don't like, or they bring in a marketing firm that you think very poorly of, or they bring in a director, you know, that made a bad decision at a previous company you invested in. What does the, what's the role of guilt by association for you? If you don't hate the management team, you don't distrust them, but now you're questioning their decision-making process and how much influence this new group or person might have over the company. Yeah, well, it, it definitely affects me. <laughs> like I will, I, if, if they make a move that I don't like, I will start to prepare uh, to exit. 
And uh, there's no bones about it. That's 100%. Uh, like I said, in terms of like strategic investors, it, it always depends. But I think that that answer, what I said about strategic investors before, there's some criteria you can set. And I think mirror that onto any strategic that's brought on. And if they don't fit that criteria, then, you know, you know, you should ask questions about it. Like, especially that reportable, if they're under 10% and they're just being listed as a strategic, um, you really have to be careful with that because those guys can buy and sell and, you know, potentially push the stock around, uh, without anybody even knowing. Um, so yeah, there's some scenarios there that I don't necessarily like if, if it happens and I will start to unwind my position or maybe take a more defensive approach on how I, you know, how news flow goes and how I interpret it. Um, but again, you know, I think you're more often than not probably, you either pass or say no, or just wind out your position if something happens that you don't like. And there's an old adage, Rick Rule is the one that that I kind of got it from, but is when the story changes, um, you sell. And so if that original premise, that investment thesis does not fit, um, and there's some criteria that are bigger than others, um, but if that investment criteria is not there anymore, the story has changed, it's time to go. And uh, that selling part of it is, is, is a huge part. And you got to be able to cut your losses and go on from there. So you talk to a lot of management teams over Zoom or Skype when you're looking for investments and also for your newsletter. So how many, let, let's say you're looking at a group, a pool of companies of possible investments. Once you go over their website, maybe you listen to a YouTube interview, you go over their presentation how many, what's the group? And, and then of that group, what percentage would you actually take a call with? And then of that, what percentage would you actually recommend in your letter? Can you just give us an idea of the filtering down process? Yeah. So me personally, um, I'll take a call with anybody. And I just like to have a good perspective of what's going on in the sector. And um, yeah, so I, I don't think I've ever said no to a call. <laughs> um, but then the process, like I do have pretty stringent criteria. So companies are thrown out, uh, you know, pretty quick. Uh, I probably average maybe 10, five to 10 meetings a week. Um, that most weeks it's, it's like that. And of that five to 10, um, I probably, well, I've been probably averaging a pick up per month. So that gives you a kind of, uh, I don't know what percentage one, that is. One out of 30, <laughs> like 3%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It could be, it could be. Um, and even still, you know, I think, yeah, that's, I'm very, very picky about who I align myself with. And, um, and so that's pretty much how it goes, but I have a good idea. I've got notes on a whole bunch of different companies and I try to form kind of what we're talking about, trying to, trying to link ideas together and how they all fit and what might be happening in the background. Um, like, it's interesting. If you look at area plays, like I think area plays is one of those, those parts where uh, investors can really get stuck or you know, get in trouble because area plays, let's say like Newfoundland, I'm not suggesting Newfoundland, but it's a good example because it's really, really hot on the back of drill results for one company in particular. And so what you've seen is a flood of companies, you know, IPO, RTO and, and buy projects and, and start marketing projects in Newfoundland. And I would say there's a good percentage of those companies that, you know, there's probably some nefarious people in there. And then there's some people that have no business being there and, you know, they may have good intentions, but they'll never, you know, they'll never do anything. And so you have to be very careful in those places. And you can see, I can see different places around the world that have gotten hot 
And I think that's one of the easiest places for, you know, sometimes these bad actors to go because there's so much attention and people will buy across the board and share prices go up and uh, these guys make their money. So that's the maybe one thing to look at too. Well, uh, many of you have emailed me over the years asking for some more information on this. I have covered it in other interviews with Warren Irwin and others, and I'm going to link to a, a YouTube playlist that covers some good introductory interviews or presentations that I did. So I would uh, point you to that too. If you're newer to resource investing and you want to continue to progress, discern the good guys from the bad guys, there's some information there. But I hope you also take away from this that it's going to be a multi-year process and you got to be diligent. Brian just told you he does 30 to 40 uh, meetings a month. At this point, he's gone to conferences over the year. It, you know, you, you take in all these inputs, you come to your own conclusions, but it's going to be a multi-year process. It's not as simple as some guy saying, these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. You got to come to your own conclusion. You got to learn things firsthand. And um, I'm going to put a link to that that uh, playlist and, you know, wish you the best success. And the key thing also is to keep, keep in tune with your emotions, something that Brian teaches you want. Brian has a journal when he invests, he journals and writes down why he invests, but also his emotional state when he made that decision-making process. So the best thing is to keep track of your own uh, emotions and your own decision-making process. And that'll keep you from investing or throwing your money towards a lot of these bad actors. Uh, Brian, since I said that, any final thoughts you'd like to share? No, just, you know, be picky and uh, don't be afraid to do your due diligence. Focus on that part of the, the equation. And I think you'll be a lot more successful in the junior resource sector. Well said. Brian, as always, thanks for contributing to my show and uh, we wish you the best. Thanks for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment.
This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.